This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kristen Struer, and you are listening to episode 16. And let me just suggest you will probably want to have a pen and paper handy for this one. There is so much wisdom in the words of today's guest, Becca Stevens. Becca Stevens is a leader in the movement for women's freedom, which you'll hear more about in this episode. She was also a CNN hero in 2016. Becca is an author, a speaker, an Episcopal priest, and a social entrepreneur. Becca opened a residential community which offers women survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction the time, space, home, and community they need to heal. She also founded Thistle Farms as an economic opportunity employing women survivors. It's also a great place for some Christmas gifts, and she gives us some good ideas in this episode. Becca is also the mom of three amazing boys, and she talks a lot about that as well. Becca's words today teach us about how love has the power to heal, and it filled me with hope that made me look at the world differently. I hope you love my conversation with Becca and that you leave this conversation as filled as I am. Welcome, Becca, to the Illuminate podcast. We are so excited to have you here. We were, I learned about you from one of our first guests on the show, Jenna Nardella. Love her. She's the best. She's an incredible woman, and what a perspective on the world she has. I know. And her husband is just as beautiful and loving, and so are their kids, which is which is what Illuminate does, right? I mean, it's her light and love, and it just shines everywhere. Absolutely. And boy, do they have the best meat story. Yeah, <laughs> they do. <laughs> well, Sitting be- on a plane. Right, sitting on a plane, exactly. I know. And she was joking about how she had her, her Africa haircut, and, you know, like many hours into your journey, you definitely don't look your best. <laughs> I know sweet but it worked out so I guess it was a it was a power haircut right exactly well Becca um we're so happy to have you here and would just love to hear a little bit about yourself can you just maybe share your your elevator pitch of who you are well I don't have an elevator pitch (laughs) I hate that um I think you know you probably got the gist of it in the um whatever it's called, the intro, you got the gist of what it is, but I am, you know, I'm an Episcopal priest, I'm a writer, I'm um, a founder of seven not-for-profits, we've raised well over $50 million for those groups, I'm a lover of, you know, survivors and their stories, I'm a lover of woods and all things that having to do with baths and knitting I have three beautiful, beautiful kids. My husband was just inducted last month into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. 
um, in my heart, I'm probably an overachiever that's lazy. <laughs> Tell me more about that. You know, given like I just we just came off the Thanksgiving, you know, four days and people talk about it's hard to come down. It's hard. You know, you're busy. You're doing all this stuff. And it's, you know, just to slow down. It's like I can do it in like five minutes. I can shut down and just relax. And I'm like, this is really my happy state of being is like, you know, just hanging out. And I was like, I think in some ways, like at my core, I'm kind of lazy, but I'm a real overachiever. So I stay, you know, very engaged and very active, but I do love doing nothing. That's so good. Mm. (laughs) I need to learn. I don't know if it's good. (laughs) I'm the kind of person that has a notebook next to my nightstand because when I'm trying to shut down, I have to take the things that won't stop in my brain and write them down. But that's a good tool. I mean, that really is because that stuff will get you up at 3 a.m. if you don't write it down. That's true. That's true. And then your brain can loop it for the next two hours. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with it. That's why I have the notebook now. That's why I have that there because then it's that it gets written somewhere and then my brain won't loop it. Then I can maybe do the shutdown. Yes. And so maybe that's a tool for your laziness. <laughs> right. Perfect. So Becca, tell me a little bit about Thistle Farms. I know it is it, it's first a residence for women who were involved in trafficking, domestic violence or addiction. It is kind of that. That's it's really what I like to say. It's a, a movement for women's freedom. And so it's not just residential, it's not just social enterprise, it is also, you know, global partnerships and starting new organizations around the country and going out and speaking and teaching about why women are on the streets and how women come off the streets. So it's a real like genuine, genuine movement. I mean, it's building momentum. It's inviting all kinds of folks. It's not just survivors to be a part of this healing journey. So how did this get started? It got started 23 years ago with one residential community. And that was in Nashville, Tennessee. It was just one house. And really, all I wanted to do was say, not just to the women, but to my community that I was a part of is like, you know, we we just need a home and people just need to create community. And so I invited five women who had huge criminal histories of trafficking, addiction, prostitution to come live in a home and said, look, two years, you can live here. It's rent free. There's no cost and there's no authority that's going to be living in the house with you. But we will provide everything you need to make your healing journey. In other words, we're not trying to be a hero in this story. You be the hero and we'll just be the host, meaning we provide the time and the space so you can do the incredible work that you need to do. And we'll be your cheerleaders. We'll be your, you know, your team. We'll be your community. We will be those, we'll be your servants. And the women came in and did an incredible job. I mean, it was it was amazing. It was life-giving. It was mind-blowing, all of those things. So we started opening up more and more houses. And we said, you know, our mantra is love heals. Um, in, in community, love heals. And so 
about four years into it, we realized the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles that continued to be in the women's life was the violence and vulnerability of poverty. I mean, they were just dirt poor still. So we thought, you know, if we're going to talk about loving women, we have to be concerned about their economic well-being. So we'll start Thistle Farms as a company and we'll make beautiful healing body products. I mean, none of the women that I serve that, you know, I mean, all the, I should say that differently. All the women that I've served over the last two decades have been raped. So the idea for me of making something really beautiful and lavish for your body seemed really important. So that's why we started it. And from there, it grew to helping other organizations start um, launching a global partnership with groups that, small groups of women that were sharing that same story. And so it's grown into the largest justice enterprise in the U.S. run by survivors. And we have now more than 300 beds in our network around the country. And we have, I don't know, something like 1,700 women employed through all our partnerships in 20 countries. It's been, an honestly, it's one of the more amazing um, stories of hope that I've heard. And I'm so glad I still get to be a part of it. Wow. So when you brought those five women together, what were the services that you provided in those first two years? And then what are you still providing those same services or what did you learn from those first two years? Well, what we did is we provided a home. Hmm. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. And then everything built out from that. So it wasn't like we had it all mapped out and we have, these are the services. It was like, here's five women and we'll go figure out what all the services are that we need to get so that they have everything they need. In other words, we can go find a dentist. We can go find a mental health worker. We can find, a, you know, um, a doctor. We can find a court advocate. We can find these people to help. But what needs to happen is a really safe home to begin with, and not a transitional house, not a shelter, not a treatment center. This is a home. This is going to be your home. You have the key. And you, with your sisters, are going to build a community that is supportive and loving of each other. And you get to map it out, what that looks like for y'all. I'm not going to map it out like programs and services. That's was kind of like I didn't want it to be an education space. I didn't want it to be a treatment center. didn't want it, a religious group. I just want it to be, your, this is your home. This is where you can live. There's something so powerful about just having your home your safe space where you have your own key. Yes. I mean, people talk about it. I mean, the women over the years, like what a difference it makes when somebody hands you a key and says, your home, your life will knock on the door when we want to come. So it's not like we don't have a ton of services and tons of programs, but it's like the main thing is the home. And I think, um, you know, for most of the women, they hit the streets when they're about 15 years old. And um, first abused about the age of seven or eight. And so uh, for a lot of the women, they've never had, and this isn't true for everybody, but for a lot of the women, they've never had a job. And so they go, maybe they get arrested and they go to jail and they come out and then they go to a halfway house, which means you have to come up with 125 a week. And if, you know, if you have never had a job and somebody says, okay, now 
in order to stay in this place, it's going to cost you $125 a week. You're asking them to go hustle. So the idea of just like, look, forget money. Just don't worry about money. We'll, we, we, we got you covered. And, you know, we'll actually give you a small stipend to stay every week so that you don't have to go hustle. That's the biggest gift you can give somebody in the world. You know, and then and it's not transitional. So it's not like, okay, this is it for three months, but then you're out on your own. So you have to, again, start manipulating or hustling, thinking what's the next thing. But if you know you're going to be somewhere for years, you can actually do the real, real hard work, which is going back to the early traumas and finding a decent therapist that's going to walk you through all the post-traumatic stress and all of the root causes and get you stabilized and in a good place to begin creating a life. And at what point in this first two-year journey did Thistle Farms enter? Oh, so you mean when they start working? Yeah. And and was Thistle Farms part of when you said, we're going to provide you a home and then we're going to bring in the economic element to it? So that was four years after we, we started with the residential in 97. In 2001, we opened the um, justice enterprise called Thistle Farms. And then, you know, it was we wanted women to wait, you know, three to six months before they started working. Don't start when you first get there. The main thing is to work on yourself when you first get there and to learn how to be a little lazy. You don't have to go hustle. You know, just come in and relax. You got, we, we got you. We, we want you to relax. You know, we want you to keep a journal like you were talking about and, and dealing with stuff later. And maybe tonight it's just, God, just sit around and watch a movie and not stress. Well, and just thinking about all the trauma that they've come into this mm. home with, I can't imagine how there was ever a feeling of relaxation. I can't either. And, you know, that's so true. And it was like, I would see women who would go get in the bathtub to sleep, like no water in it, sitting up in a bathtub with a pillow because that had been their safe place was the bathroom. And it's like, oh my God, your bed's not even safe. That's got to be so scary just to learn how to sleep in a bed. So what prompted you to start this and to create this home? I'm always like a big champion of the underdog. I've always felt that way. I've never once thought, um, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't even know what that means because it's like somebody got you your first pair of boots more than likely, you know, so those, somebody gifted you those bootstraps. It's always been a community effort and everything a lot of us have has been because of a lot of mercy and forgiveness of others. And that's for sure been true in my life that, you know, I've known a lot of brokenness. You know, my father was killed by a drunk driver when I was five years old. I was sexually abused for three years after that. I have all of those markers in my life. But I also have so, so much to be grateful for. And I've had so many people who have offered me um, a path for education, um, the ability to travel. I mean, so many things have happened for the good. And so I try to stay, you know, really grounded and grateful. And I think part of that gratitude and gratefulness, um, shows up as, you know, serving and, and wanting to help some other people just like I was helped. So I think when I first started, it was like, what would I want if I was coming out of jail? 
what would I want? And it was like, you know what I would want is I would want a really nice bed <laughs> with new comforter and soft pillow and a door that I could close to be by myself. And I would want um, some time and space to figure out what the next steps were. That's what I would really want. So that's how I tried to set it up to do it exactly how I would want it done for me. That's amazing. And it's so simple. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you see shelters and how that is, it's like, this is so traumatic. Like when I see that stuff and I know it's a necessary thing, you know, but it's like, here's what I think. Like, this is what I really think. Like I have three kids. You have almost two kids. <laughs> <laughs> And I think nobody says to you, okay, if you want to be efficient and you want to be a good mom, what you need to do is have 13 kids. No, they think two or three kids is great. That's perfect. You can create a family. You can create a life. You can have an impact as a mother. You can do all these things with a small group. But when it comes to our justice work, people are like, oh, my gosh, you have to serve 100 people, and it has to be done really on the cheap and just put a mat on the floor. But people are still homeless at the end of that. People are still traumatized at the end of that. And what I love is a lot of people helping small groups. And then, like I said, we can go out and find what we need like we do for our kids. Here's an education path. Here is the health care path. We can figure it out. But it gets overwhelming when you warehouse people. And so that was, for me, it felt like this was a family. These small houses are families. Yeah, and it's true. And they have the that women's... support system of each other. Yes. And it's like, you know, they're together forever. It's not just the two years. I mean, they, I mean, we're going to have a huge graduate Christmas party on Sunday. And people are bringing their kids and they come together and they, we have Santa Claus and we, you know, we have these big parties and people come who have, have left our community 10, 15 years ago, but they still come home and they want to be together and celebrate, you know, all the goodness that's happened. They come home. I love that. Yeah. So how do you find the women or how do they find you? What does that process look like? Well, you know, the crazy thing is, is we used to do outreaches and outreaches right on the streets where the women were walking and sleeping and turning tricks and doing drugs but we basically stopped doing that completely. I mean, there was a small group of graduates that went out over the holidays to go um, offer some, just some loving outreach baskets to a few of the women. But we quit doing outreaches because our waiting list is so long and it almost seemed cruel to say, here's this amazing place, but we don't have any room for you for six months. Oh, yeah. You know, so another, what happens is that good news does travel. Women tell women, tell women, tell women. And then you do stuff like we, I guess it was like two weeks ago, we were on PBS NewsHour. And we get tons of referrals from stuff like that. People that have a cousin's sister's aunt's friend that was, you know, abused or trafficked and that is having a hard time. And they contact us from all over the country. And so that was one of the reasons we really wanted to start this aligned national network was so that we could refer women to other places and we could accept women who weren't in safe places from another state and we could all do this work together. The women come in for two years. They Do they all have the opportunity to work at Thistle Farms? They all have the opportunity to work at Thistle Farms. And that's for their sure. choice. If they that want is to totally that. their choice, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. And if they can get another job. Mm 
Yeah. But I mean, I was, we were, I guess it was like, I guess it was two or three weeks ago, we were sitting in the circle. So every Wednesday morning we have this circle and everybody gathers and we light a candle in the middle and we say, we light this candle for the woman on the street and for the woman who's trying to find her way home. And it's one of the candles we make. And it's this Mm. beautiful, meaningful candle that we've continued lighting that candle again for decades. And two of the women, you know, and the people in the circle change, but the circle itself doesn't change. And, you know, people come back who've had a really hard time that just need to come sit. And it's, you, everybody really goes around the circle and people just have a chance to reflect on one of our practices that we have. We have these 20 practices that we, um, you know, it's, it's our discipline at Thistle Farms. It's stuff like, walk behind, um, stand on new ground, forgive and feel freedom, just real simple stuff. Okay. And there's Laugh 20 of those. Yourself. Yeah. There's, well, there's 24 now, but we've edited it down to 20. We've kind of combined a few, okay. but anyway, sitting in that circle, there was two women who had just started at Thistle Farms. They'd probably been in the residential program for about three or four months and they had just started. And both of them, when it got to their time said, I just earned my first legitimate check. And the pride and the joy. I mean, they love come people that are in the residential program love coming to Thistle Farms and getting that check and calling their families and saying, Look, I got this check and I have a real job and people are hiring me. I mean, it's very exciting. Wow. So tell me, Thistle Farms, what what are you producing? What are they making? What are they part of? So they're a part of this beautiful, beautiful I want to say network of justice enterprises. So part of it is manufacturing bath and body care products. And all of that is done in Nashville, Tennessee, except for some soaps that are made in Wisconsin from another sister program. But it's everything from like healing oils to shower gels to um, body bombs, body butter, shave gel, head to toe body wash, um, and a lot of stuff in that line. And anybody can, you can look at all of it, all your beautiful young moms that want good, all natural products that are healing for you and your kids. They're the best bug sprays. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And then we have a line that's, um, the, um, home line. So we make candles, we make dryer balls, we make, um, you know, with our 30 global partners, like I said, in 20 countries, we make teas, we make um, leather pouches, we have beautiful scarves. It's just, it's a whole line. There's probably, I think, something like almost 200 SKUs now in our line. So it's a, it's a huge variety of stuff, bowls and baskets and welcome mats. I mean, anything you can think of, we probably have. Okay, well, this is perfect timing because <laughs> we are just coming up on the holidays and so if, if somebody listening wants to go pop, buy these products, where do they go? They just go to thistlefarms.org. And, you know, if they sign up for the monthly, or I guess it's right now, it's weekly because it's the holidays, but it's generally once or twice a month newsletters, they get a big discount when they order. Okay. Mm-hmm. And do there's you all have, kinds of deals. What are your, what are some of your, like, what are your top three favorite products? If you're buying a gift for somebody, what? What would you get for someone? For me, what do I love? Yeah. I love um, just a nut for earrings. And we have some of the most beautiful earrings 
that I mean, it's a whole line of earrings, and I'm 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 apt. I'm usually looking at the jewelry section. I just I love that. You and know, th- that I jewelry love. comes from many of your sister communities. Yes, it comes from several different sister communities on several different continents. So you can choose a wide variety of stuff. I will buy those. I love our jet set. Our jet set is very small products, but it's like four products. And so you can get, a, it's like a variety pack of products. And they have a lavender jet set. And I'll buy those all the time because the jet set is, it gives people a feel for who we are. You can take it on road trips because everything's less than four ounces. It just seems like a better gift than getting one thing. You get a whole pack. So yeah. I love that. And when you travel, and sometimes you need that comfort, right? Or that healing feeling of a nice yes. product. Yes. Yes. And it, it, it's all natural. It's beautiful for the earth. It's beautiful for your body. It's, it's awesome. Then the last thing that, you know, I am just crazy for, and I love it for families. It's good for weddings. It's good for births. It's good for everything is the pack of healing oils. So when I, we first created these healing oils, this is the honest to God truth. When I was little, I was crazy for Bonnie Bell lip smackers. Do you remember those? Oh, absolutely. I had all the flavors. All of them, girl. I loved them, loved them, loved them. And so I thought people were too serious about all these healing oils and it felt so intimidating. And I wanted it to be like where I could have it for anything I would need. Energy, calm. Like I want to be able to rub rub it on my baby's feet at night or, um, you know, give it as a present, like an all over body oil to people or, you know, here's, you're getting ordained. Here's a present. You're grieving someone. Here's a present, but they would have all the oil. So I, on, for all my special occasions and, you know, I'm an Episcopal priest, so I do weddings and all that kind of stuff. I will buy those packs of oils and give those as like a lifetime gift for someone. Oh, I love that. So did you have any expertise in creating oils before you started Thistle Farms? I didn't. And I wrote a book called, this is, it's really funny. I wrote a book called um, Snake Oil about both the good and the bad of oils and about, you know, snake oils, the idea of somebody selling you just crap, you know, that's, it's a hoax. And I always felt like that in many, many ways, what we're being sold is snake oil in this world on so many fronts and we're buying into it. But the good side was this really like these gifts from creation that are healing for the body and how to do it. So I bought this book. The first book I bought was called Healing Oils of the Bible. And there's like 425 passages. And I thought this is a good place to start um, because these are old. These are the old recipes. Oh, okay. From the creation recipes. Yeah. So like when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, Exodus 30, God gives him a recipe for oils. It's very specific. And I thought, this is a great place to start. It's like a cinnamon oil recipe with olive oil. And so we started there. And then we just expanded to, we did tons of research. We got finally got people in who are experts, aromatherapists, you know, all of that. But also, um, you know, I think it's not as complicated and as scary as people think. You just put a lot of a carrier oil, like olive oil or jojoba oil or sweet almond oil or moringa oil, which is my favorite. Those are all like the oils that are in the seed of the plant. They're really juicy, great for your skin, carrier oils. And you just add a teeny bit of whatever your essential oil is you want. And you can go online and find out 
what oils are good for that. And then you just blend them. And it's, it's a great gift and a great joy to be able to learn that. That's awesome. Well, don't give your secrets away. I would totally to- give my secrets to you. <laughs> you can have any secret I oh, have. Oh, well, thanks. So, okay, I want to go back. So you're an Episcopal priest. Mm-hmm. At what point in your life journey did did you take that path? You know, I, when I was growing up, they weren't ordaining women. That was not a thing. It wasn't until I was in high school that they began ordaining women, at least in Tennessee. They didn't ordain. I think the first woman was ordained in 81. So... I didn't even really think about it. I was a math major in college, and I went on to D.C. and um, started working for a real justice group. It was called Bread for the World that worked on hunger legislation. But during that time that I was there, and I was only there for about a year and a half, it was like what I really want to do is go to divinity school, and I want to get ordained because I want to do this from a place where I can talk about love and community and um have the freedom to do it the way I wanted to. I didn't ever get ordained thinking I want a big church and then I want to be a bishop and all that. That wasn't it. It was about coming from a place of love to love the world. And when you did get ordained, what was, where did you move next? Didn't really move. That's the funny thing is I'm not a real mover. I'm kind of a stayer. So I met my husband in divinity school, Marcus Hummond. And he had just moved to Nashville to start his songwriting career. And I didn't even think I would stay in Nashville. I didn't know I would go anywhere. I was way open to moving and doing whatever it was I wanted. But he was definitely staying in Nashville. And we met and fell in love fast. I mean, it was really fast. You know, we've been married 30 years now. And it's been fast. Wow. <laughs> and it's, I know, and it's the best thing ever, ever happened to me. I mean, my husband loved me through so much healing work that I needed to do. I mean, again, with anybody out there who's had that history of child sexual trauma, it is, it is a journey to be married. And I married the very right man to do it. So I didn't leave. I stayed in Nashville and, um, I became the chaplain at Vanderbilt. So I got my divinity school degree at Vanderbilt and I became a chaplain there. And, um, I'm still a chaplain at Vanderbilt. I'm not oh, there very okay. much. Okay. I'm not there very much, but we have um, four other priests that are a part of that community um, at Vanderbilt. So it is, it's a beautiful place to still call home while I get to go out and start, you know, new pilgrimages and new communities all over the world. Sounds like an amazing job. I love it. I really, really am. And hopefully one day Nothing it actually won't be a job, right? Because right. there won't be anybody who needs what, you, what you're offering. Well, you know, I don't really think that way. Honestly, I don't. I think that the scars that we're talking about are the scars they left the desert with. I mean, I think, you know, um, the sexual trauma and violence in women's life are probably, you know, the oldest form of abuse that humanity knows. And so I don't think that my job is about eliminating that. But what I feel like my job is, is to remind women who have um, lived in fear and shame and addiction and injustice, that there is a path that is a way out. And it's not that they ever have to get over it or forget it, but they don't have to live into it forever. So that's what I'm trying to do. 
And I feel like that is, that's the reason I think I was born. That's beautiful. The, the word that comes to mind is just hope and around those women and around the work that you're doing. And the other thing I will say is it's hope for everybody. It's, you know, it's hope for all of us. It's hope for you. It's hope for me. It's hope for communities. I mean, I don't want anybody to think, you know, I'm just doing this for this small subculture of women. I'm doing it because we still live in a culture that tolerates the buying and selling of women and turns the other way on really destructive pornography and child sexual abuse. And, you know, the Me Too movement has been a beautiful gift. And it reminds us that we get to own those stories but what I'm hoping, part of what has happened in the journey of Thistle Farms, and I do think we've helped change language, and I do think we've helped change legislation, but it's about hope for all of us, that we're all a part of the story of how women get to the streets, and we all have to be part of the story about how women come off the streets. I know for a fact that women that you would cross to the other side of the street to avoid that were really scary on the streets are women who now have beautiful big jobs at Thistle Farms and sell you products and serve food and fill orders for Whole Foods and go to house parties in women's homes all over the country. And it's this beautiful thing of seeing all of our relationships restored, not just the women restored, but our relationships to the women who have been on the streets restored. Do you see that hope when you sit in that circle every Wednesday? What does that feel like or look like? You know, it feels like that what I don't ever want to do is get to the place where I think I've heard that before. I want to remember, like, there is the soldier story. I mean, there's commonalities in what a soldier who's been to war is like. But then there's also individual soldiers' stories. And they're not the same. And they're beautiful and valid and heartbreaking and that's how I feel in that circle is like, these are new stories. Even though I've heard variations, I've never heard, let's say, you know, Jen's story. And I want to sit there and I want to hear what happened to her. And then next to her is Lena. And I want to hear Lena's story that might be radically different in many, many ways. Maybe one person was raised in a cult. Maybe somebody's mother was a drug addict. Maybe they were in the foster care system. There's all kinds of variations on this story. And I want to I just hear it in a loving way, not to be judging about it, but just to say in that circle, the hope is like, I can still hear a story and I can still be moved by it. And you're right. No story is the same. They're all different. And we all have one and we all carry them. And I think the best gift is being able to listen to someone else's story for all of us. It's a gift you give someone. Really is. When you were talking about the mantra of love heals, how do you define love in that context? Well, I wrote a whole book on it. It's called Love Heals. Which we'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> I think does a pretty good job of defining it because it's not a simple answer. It's, it's specific. It's, you know, practical. It's daily actions that we perform. There's all kinds of ways that love looks. And it doesn't look the same, you know, like how you're loving your three-year-old. It's not going to be the same of what your love looks like when your child's 13 or 23, that it develops and it grows over time. 
And so I think for me, the best thing to say about what that looks like is that it is relevant and practical and specific to the person that you're loving. You were making me reflect on when I think about the love I have for the people that are in my life and in particular, those that are close to my life, how my love is different for each of those people. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. That's how you know it's real love. And it's like, you know, I'm glad people love the world. But what I think really our job is, is to love the people that are in our lives and extrapolate that every day of our lives for our whole lives. And that way we love the world. Yeah. I hope. I mean, not my best days. That's my best days. Not <laughs> well, talk to me about the love you have for having three boys, right? Mm-hmm. How old are they? They are 19, 23, and 28. They're okay, they're men. big boys. Mm-hmm. They, we just had Thanksgiving with all of them, and all of them had their girlfriends that came and stayed with us. We had 22 people at the cabin we have this beautiful big cabin in the woods that we um share with the that our friend shared with us and we just it's still the same thing though boys you know i mean it's like okay let's go out we're gonna play football we're gonna build fires we're gonna hike it's very active but then they also indulge me and we make gingerbread and we play games and work puzzles so they're they're the same and they're different but they're amazing to see grown up. I mean, Levi Humman is an up and coming country music artist that's been on tour all fall and he, he's streaming tons of beautiful music. And so, you know, to get him for four days straight is a big gift. Oh, that's awesome. I'm just smiling because I, I think about my three-year-old son and we, my husband and I, are always like, can we just freeze time? We just want him to stay this little person. And then you're talking about how beautiful their lives are as they've grown. So that's, that creates a really happy sentiment for me. And you get to see it. You get to see the fruition of it all. I mean, like our middle son, Caney Humman, C-A-N-E Watts, he's named after a river in Tennessee, but he is an artist, but he's a fine artist, a painter. And he's having his very first art show in Nashville, Tennessee this weekend at the Reimer Gallery. Wow. And so it's huge. And he's got these, it's amazing paintings that he's worked on for, I mean, several years. And it's got all of us in them, if that makes any sense. I mean, the stories of, of his brothers or of the places he's been or the stories he's been told or the faith he was given. It's all in those art, in that artwork. And so to see it and to see it in his own language, in his own way, it looks really different from all of us, as does our son Levi. You just get to, I think that's where the fruit of all of it comes. And so I don't, I try not to grieve what the inevitable part of motherhood, which is learning with grace to let go. I try to really celebrate, like, it's all in there. It's in them still. It's not gone. It just looks different. But it's hard, by the way. <laughs> it's hard when they walk out the door. It's like a big thing. Oh, I bet. I don't want to think about that yet. I'm not ready. Don't. You, well, you've got a baby <laughs> in your belly. You've got nothing to worry about. It'll never happen. <laughs> How did you expose your boys to your work and to the realities of what many women in the world face? 
You know, my boys are the reason I started it. I've had the idea of it, but again, I told you from the very beginning, I'm a little bit lazy. And so I didn't know that I really wanted to start a whole organization with the idea. And so I had the idea for a couple of years and didn't do anything. And it was my oldest son was four years old, Levi. And he, we were out doing a feeding program for women on the streets and we were at near a strip club and he saw a sign at the, from that was in front of the strip club. And it was a woman in a cat suit that was half naked. And he said, mama, why is that lady smiling? And it was a ridiculous poster, you know, I mean, with the cat ears and the cat tail arching back and smiling. And the question seemed so innocent to me. And it seemed um, like maybe someday my son's not going to ask that question. It's going to seem completely normal to him that we strip women down, sell them for probably less than cats, and put them up on billboards and ask them to smile the whole time. And so that's when um, I decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to help him know that we love women different than that, and we honor women and support women and all of that. So that was the day I made my first call to get a board going. So they were all raised in the heart of the Thistle Farms community. All of them have had summer jobs at Thistle Farms, working side by side with women. Um, women who have been in the program have been our babysitters, our best friends. <laughs> it's been a community for 23 years. I mean, it's a thing. I love that. I want to just wrap with two final questions, our end of the podcast questions. We asked Jenna Nardella, who is somebody who illuminates in their life? And that is how I learned about you. So I want to know who is somebody that illuminates in your life or your community? The person that illuminates, there's so, oh God, there's so many women that are coming to my mind. But the person today that has popped into my head is, it, does it have to be somebody not at Thistle Farms, right? It could be anywhere. It can be somebody at Thistle Farms or not at Thistle Farms. Just somebody who illuminates for you, who defines illumination in their life. The person that I'm thinking about is a woman named Tara Armistead, and she's a landscape architect, and she has helped me develop several programs in the world because if I can have her ears and her eyes on an idea, she will bring it back where it is in, you know, in communication with the earth, it, where it makes sense economically, where it has um, deep and practical roots you know, she had, she's a generous giver. She is, um, one of my dearest friends. And I just, I think of her as she illuminates partly because she grows things for a living. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love her. You're going to, if you talk to her, you will be in love. Okay. All right. She's, I'm going to add her to my list. Okay. My last question. And you've already given a lot of these throughout our conversation today. But what is your message for the world? My message is, is very simple, and it seems so trite in some ways, but it is the deepest and most distilled message that I know, and that is love heals. And to anybody out there listening who doubts that, my advice is to go run to community, community that supports and loves you and listens to you and will offer some deep bonds and relationships so you can experience how that love heals. What a hopeful way 
to look at the world. And love sure does heal. Thank you for illuminating with us. And I hope you loved this conversation with Becca. If you have other ideas of people who you want to hear on the show, please let us know. We want to bring you guests that you're really excited about and you want to hear their stories. Also, if you love this episode, we would so appreciate if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I hope this episode was just what you needed. Have a wonderful week and thanks for illuminating with us.